Welcome back to the podcast. This is Mo. And today I have a very, very um, wonderful, amazing guest. She is a survivor of not just one, but two cancers, one of the lymph nodes and the other breast cancer. In 2009, she founded the Zambian Cancer Society, which is a nonprofit organization that is founded on the belief that no one should face cancer alone. And they support everyone that has been affected by cancer, irrespective of age, gender. Their hope is their, their um, reason that is to give hope inspire and enrich the lives of cancer patients and their caregivers she also establishes to counter the silence shame and stigma as well as isolation that often surrounds the disease as you can know as you guys know already from the people who brought on the podcast how this can be quite isolating especially for those in the motherland um, she's a world health organization patient for patient safety champion and sits on several national and international committees on cancer and non-communicable diseases she has received several accolades including the Udi Circle Support Program named in her honor by the Midland Hospital and she's also an I Am Equal International Women's Day Award. Wow, there's still more guys. Hold on for a bit. She holds a BA in Public Administration and a Chartered Secretary qualification. She's a Certified Breast Health Educator and a Health and Fitness Lifestyle Advisor. She recently co-authored a book titled Passionately striving in, striving in why an anthology of women who persevere mightily to live their purpose. She's an avid five kilometer runner and a fledgling golfer. She's also a founding member of Eagles Toastmasters Club. Everyone, please join me in welcoming Miss Udu Soko to the podcast. Wow. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Mo, for having wow, me. Wow, that's that's just—it's great. I mean, thank you. That's that's just what a purposeful life. I mean, your life is just purposeful. So let's just start from the very beginning. I mean, so I know you're from Zambia, right? Um, can you just walk us through maybe how you grew up, your family, and um, yeah, and then we can go from there. Yes, I am Zambian. But the interesting part is I was born in Washington, D.C., the United States, obviously, as we Washington, D.C. is. My father was Zambia's first ambassador, um, Zambia's first ambassador to the United States. Uh, Zambia got independence in 1964, and a few months later, in October, November, he was posted to, the, to America. And the following year, I was born. And, well, that might not be, you know, like, like jaw-dropping. What might be, for you, Mo, and the people listening today, is the fact that I was born on the day that Ian Smith, Ian Smith was Zimbabwe's, well, at that time it was Southern Rhodesia's last Prime Minister. Yeah. Prime Minister. Wow. So on the 11th of November 1965, he declared a unilateral declaration of independence, UDI in short, declaring independence from the British. So my father, who was an ambassador, he was our first ambassador, and uh, came from the eastern part of the country, who are renowned for naming their children, you know, 
getting the children after momentous events. <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> uh, in, named me UDI. So I, so, I, and I'm, I'm relaying the story as, as my mother shared. So when he went to see her at the hospital and he said to her, Mommy, guess what has happened? She said, what? Ian Smith has declared the unilateral declaration of independence UDI. So we're naming our daughter UDI. And my mother, in her wisdom, she suggested to him that he answered me to make mm-hmm. it a name. UD rather than just yeah. letters, UDI. And he agreed to that. However, if you look at my birth certificate, it's written UDI. <laughs> it's so cool. So uh, that's what I That is very interesting. And I uh, spent my early years in the, in the diplomatic service or as a child of a diplomat, of an ambassador. My fa- father served in the United States in the then... Soviet Union, Russia, now Russia, the territories, Kenya, and the United Kingdom. Right. Then I came back to Zambia in 1970, and then I began my school, my school, um, my school life, up to high school and then university. Then I started oh, wow. work. You're like the second person on the show who's um, <laughs> lived a diplomat life. Um, Malongo Mochilemba, her father's also a diplomat, and she's Zambian as well. She's traveled around the world. Um, so you're the first, the first child and the firstborn. Do you have siblings? Oh, I'm actually the oh, last, the last born. one. Well, I did mention that. <laughs> yeah, I had three brothers and a okay. sister. So in you know. For the years I have lost the firstborn, my mm. brother, and the thirdborn. So sorry sister. to hear. So I, have, I I now have just two so brothers. So sorry to hear. And myself, I'm the last one. Yeah. So let's just fast forward because um, okay. we were here today to kind of explore your life story. So you are a two-time cancer survivor, and I hate to ask this question like a, a case of which one came first, the chicken or the egg? Which was your first diagnosis? Was it the one of the lymph node or the one of the breast cancer? My first cancer diagnosis was cancer of the lymph nodes in 1989. I had just finished uh, university and I was 23 years old and I had recently started work at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And yeah, in fact, I started work in 1988. I finished university in 1987, started work in 1988. And in 1989, I was diagnosed with cancer of the lymph nodes. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, and that's the lymph, the lymph nodes are actually very, very important because it's, uh, um, it can actually affect other areas of your body, like the spleen, the thymus gland, and the bone marrows. Um, how was your recovery? And um, given that you were in your 20s, then I imagine it was a difficult time for you. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I didn't even understand the gravity of what I was suffering from. Uh, cancer was not a common disease then in, in Zambia. And, you know, here, okay, I have cancer. And uh, so what's the treatment? You know, that's the next logical question. And um, I was told, yes, it can be treated. But the challenge was, at that time, Zambia did not have a cancer hospital. 
a few patients, maybe less than 100, maybe less than 50 even, were sent abroad. Were lucky, some were lucky enough to be sent abroad for further treatment either to Zimbabwe or South Africa or elsewhere. I tried to get onto that list. I wasn't fortunate. However, through, in my opinion, through God's divine intervention, I was working for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and my employer sent me to Germany for treatment. And um, it, it was rough because, first of all, I was dealing with an illness I did not have any idea about. The treatment took over a year and it involved multiple treatments. It involved surgery. It involved what they call chemotherapy. These are anti-cancer fighting drugs. It involved radiation. And to top it all, I was living in a country where I did not understand the language. The culture was very different. The food. Um, so there were a lot of shocks, you know, hitting me. Uh, at the same time, and including the fact that cancer treatment is yes. painful at the mm. best of times, yeah, and recovering from surgery. So they, they were, it was an assault on my body, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. So it, it was quite mm. a battle. But every day I was getting better, little by little, even through the, the rough times. You know, it, there was an end goal that I was keeping my eyes set on. And after a year plus, I, I finally reached the finish line. I mean, that's hard enough. Even because I work with um, cancer survivors, um, specifically prostate cancer. And I also look at um, not just men who are born in the U.S., but those who come from other parts of the world, like Caribbean countries and Africa. And you can tell that there's a difference when you're not in your home, like where your people are. Because cancer is such a disease that attacks every part of you. You need that support. So I can't even imagine how difficult it was for you being in a different place without the comfort of your family and all of your psychosocial support to muscle through. But you did it, and I think it's a testament to your fighting spirit. Yes, to a large, a certain degree, you know, I mean, I'm no saying I'm no hero. I'm just, just plodding through it a lot of times because, you know, you feel so despondent because yeah. your body and soul are being, you know, tossed left, yeah. right and center. Um, and fortunately, through the embassy, we managed to get my mother to come and be my primary oh. caregiver. So she stayed with me for over a year. At that time, I think she was in her 50s. Now she's 84. And the, the staff at the Zambian embassy, I, I know I, I take off my hat to, to them for their support in, in different ways. The, the late ambassador, I mean, he would come and see me in hospital daily. And also the African community. I had, I, I had a number of colleagues who would check up on me regularly. So that, that helped that's us well. Again. That's right, again. For sure. Um, so now let's fast forward a little bit to time. You also got diagnosed with breast cancer. How many years later from 1965, sorry, 1989, when you got diagnosed with lymph nodes, were you diagnosed with breast cancer? Right, right. So in 19... 19- 89, yeah. Yeah, had Hodgkin's lymphoma, cancer of the lymph nodes, 1990. At some point, I was declared cancer-free. Fast forward to 
and I was cured. Fast forward to 2015, the year I turned 50, my jubilee year, and I was so excited. And as I said earlier, I was born on the 11th of November, 1965. So it was countdown to my birthday. And Zambia had gotten in Paris in 1964. So it celebrated its jubilee year you know, in 20, 2014. So there was all that hype, and I was saying, oh, next year, it's me. So a lot of plans for my birthday were being brewed. And what happens, February, I believe it was, February or so, February, March, um, through a routine checkup, I was told that I had breast oh. cancer. And I was really blindsided because... That was the last thing on my mind. It had been 26 years since cancer had last visited me unannounced. (laughs) Very unwelcome. And it shook me to the core. Yes, I'm a cancer advocate, but I believed my personal journey with cancer. Mm. I'd been there and done it. Yes, it was over. And to be told I had breast cancer you know, was the last thing on my mind. And what that meant was now fighting again for my life. My birthday plans were put on hold. They weren't even important Mm. anymore. And it was now, what is the treatment regimen? Um, To remove my breast, what they call a mastectomy, a full mastectomy. And I said, okay. And chemotherapy again and other treatments for a year. Literally, even actually, I was actually told one year. And then because of the type of breast cancer I had, I would be on hormonal therapy for five years, which is a pill that I was taking for wow. five years. So that's what happened. And it, it wasn't easy. I mean, the, 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 on the plus side, I, was received, I received most of my treatment here in Zambia. I was diagnosed in South Africa, but I was able to receive most of my treatment here in Zambia because... We now had a cancer yeah. hospital. And in 2015, it was still yeah. robust. Now it's had challenges since then, but it was still robust. I was able to get my treatment. And I was an outpatient. Mm. During my first treatment, uh, my yeah. first cancer, I was an inpatient. And it was okay. Yeah, so that that was soothing. Okay. Um what stage was your diagno- uh, your cancer diagnosed and um, what um, receptors, what um, hormones were they receptive to? If you had liberty to share. Yes, I was diagnosed with uh, um, early stage breast cancer. It was stage two. And I tested positive for estrogen. So it was mm-hmm. ER positive. And also tested positive for what they call um, Except, for, um the, the last I was very too positive. That's good. Yeah, so I mean I think kudos to you for even diagnosing that early. Because what we're seeing right now, as, as I'm sure you're very aware, is that there's that late um, stage and grade of presentation, especially among our women when it comes to cancer. Could you speak to the importance of early detection and how was your detec- detection made? Well, um, okay, before I answer that question, when I was diagnosed, um, you know, of course, there's the, the whole history that they take, what's, what's your, your medical history like. And when I, I explained about my first diagnosis all those years ago, um, there was some 
um, debate or conclusion that the radiation that I'd received all those 20 plus years ago could have triggered mm. my second cancer, my breast cancer, because it's not unknown or it's not unusual, unusual for radiation yeah. to, to, to um, stimulate, you know, yes, the, yeah. all Rock kinds cells. of things yeah. that yeah. can yeah. Yeah. secondary cancer. Yeah, a new cancer or been a recurrence, but in this case, it was a new cancer. So they were not that surprised. Um, so I said, I want, yeah, so, so that's, so I'd gone to, to see um, my, I'd gone for a medical checkup because I was planning for my 50th birthday. So during the checkup, they, uh, my doctor um, told me that I, I had, I, I, I was not aware, I'd not felt anything in my breast, but, you know, when they do the scans and they check, they found that there was a lump. Wow. And mm-hmm. yeah. So one of the, I mean, just wow. One of the um, issues we're also having, because some cancers have that strong familial link, you know, like breast cancer, prostate cancer, mm-hmm. but we don't have our history. And prior mm-hmm. to that time, did you know about your family history? Was it something that was discussed? Or this was just, you know, just, you know, came out of the left wing field for you? It, yes, I, I knew a little bit from both sides of my family. I knew my father's father, my paternal grandfather, died of mm, prostate mm. cancer the same year I I was born. And then the firstborn in my father's family, my uncle, my father's brother, died of prostate mm. cancer. That I knew. And then on my mother's side, her her, her maternal aunt, her mother's sister, had breast cancer and on my mother's side again in that same family where my 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 grandmother's sister had breast cancer an aunt of mine gave birth to a child who later developed uh, leukemia mm. cancer mm. of the blood so that 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 i knew um that i knew there was some history of cancer in my family but Really, in my immediate family, I'm the only one who had cancer. And like my aunts, okay, my mother is an only child. My mother, nothing. My father's family, it was just, it's just my uncle, my my father's, yeah, yeah, my father's uh, first, my father's elder brother who had prostate cancer. And in my father's family, there were nine. They were, you know, they were nine. And none of them had cancer. So in the family, I'm really one of the few who has been diagnosed oh. with cancer. Well, I mean, I mean, it's good that you're at least mm-hmm. able to know your family history because we don't share that a lot as Africans. And which which kind of brings me to my mm-hmm. next question. Um, again, like I said, I work with um, people who have survived prostate cancer. And there's a theme that goes around around shame. You know, from the point of diagnosis, mm-hmm. even up until when they traverse the survivorship continuum, but a few of them break through that barrier. They they turn from survivors to advocates, kind of like yourself. Um, as someone who's gone through this journey, why do you think there's a lot of shame associated with cancer in our community as Africans? I think number one, talking about an illness, a chronic illness, which is um, which is harsh, 
and which you know in terms of its treatment and even the first of all in terms of its treatment that's a problem and you know it's a lifelong condition even when you are cured there is always that risk that it may yeah. come back that's that's number one and then there's a lot of death associated with cancer at the cancer diagnosis long painful death or a short painful death but there's a lot of death and pain associated with it and also the the treatments we go back to the treatments some of the side effects of the treatments are not pleasant and yeah I've got long lasting um implications for example breast cancer in the in the event that you have to lose your breast there you know in breast breast don't grow back yes you can have reconstruction but how many people have access to reconstruction yeah. so you lose a body part like a, like a breast which isn't it um it's perceived to be part of a woman's mm-hmm. femininity now when you lose one breast or you lose both breasts that already can you know it's a, already an image problem and then and stigma comes in in so many ways secondly it's been known um the treatments have been known to affect yeah. fertility affect libido um your whole you know you 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 there are a lot of physical changes and it can indu- okay i've talked about infertility it can induce premature uh, menopause and it, again there is a lot of silence and myths and misconceptions so there are myths such as you brought it upon yourself so you are to blame or it's a curse um it's you know there's witchcraft involved and this you know so a lot of there's a lot of negativity associated with the disease and therefore um the stigma plus depending on where it is where the cancer has been yeah. found right breast cancer talking about breast cancer is, is hard enough but what about if you start talking about penile yeah. cancer we we even start cancer that sexuality yeah. the, 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 the trans organ cancer yeah prostate yeah. cancer or penile cancer cancer yes. of the penis yes. I, oh, I'm, yeah. i'm talking yeah. about yeah uh-huh. no, the, yeah yeah the yeah exactly yeah. cancer of the cervix where is the cervix but the time you start explaining you have to you know, a picture of maybe the if that's not bad enough if you have mm. yeah cancer of the vulva how are you going to explain that I've got cancer of the vulva cancer of the what you know of the uterus i think it's easy. i don't know if it's easier but if mentioning cancer of the eye um or oh, okay we can see it right if you're going into the the the, the, the sexual organs yeah, it becomes more and more um difficult i mean even the yes. breast we have to be sensitive yeah. what you know and maybe so you don't have a breast so you don't have a breast and they're trying not to look yes, at your chest because yes. when, when you see a woman the first <laughs> yeah. thing the people will stare at is you know i mean it's just it's just right there right and then once that's that is gone i imagine it's difficult right. you know oh wow yes and and you can imagine more and it, of course we would like to have breasts nice breasts you know healthy breasts yes important um it's part of a woman's image is part of women's you know sexuality sensuality now you can imagine a a young lady you know even an older one but let's just give, I'm giving an example of a young lady you know 20s i mean we were whereby she's single no child 
when you, she wants to start dating, how how does the conversation even start? Even for an older woman, <laughs> it's any easier. But you can imagine already that you have one breast, it's, it's, it, it can be a barrier. We know of, of several cases, many cases, if I may say so, where marriages okay. have broken yeah. down because the husband does not understand breast cancer and why his wife should only have one breast. That doesn't work for him. We, I mean, there was, for example, there's a case where a woman was told to choose between the marriage or her breast. And in this particular case, she chose her health, really, not just the breast, it's her health and the marriage the marriage mm. came to an end. And, and that story is not unique. So you can imagine, even that's why the stigma, now you're with the lamp. What will happen? What will my husband think? What will my husband's family think? So let me just, you know, lay low and not deal with, with this lamp or this yeah. discharge or any yeah. other abnormal symptoms. Thank you. I mean, thank you so much for just explaining that. It makes a lot of sense. So the first thing to cancer was when you were in your 20s. And then in your at the point of 2050, mm-hmm. um, like 27 years later, another one came. Um, and I imagine the the setting was different, the state was different. You're probably in a different walk of life at, at the later stage. Um, well, how would you compare and contrast those two experiences? And what would you say were some protective factors and some not so protective factors if we were to compare when you had in your 20s and then when you had in your 50s? In my 20s, as I said, um, it was a, a new experience, uh, cancer, okay, and then this is the treatment. And I didn't know what to expect, so everything was new. And um, because I was not in the loop, on the one hand, it helped because I was just, you know, going through, they say, do this, do that. I'm not anticipating all oh, the pain that's going to come, all oh, the nausea, because I wasn't expecting that until, until it happened. And my na- being naive, or be- not being, maybe naive is not the right word, but not being in the loop about the gravity is of this, uh-huh. the disease. I think it helped me just go through it, you know, day in, day in, day in, day out, waiting for the final day when I will no longer be on treatment and I'm done. And I'm thought I'm done, I'm done. So in that regard, it, it, it helped my ignorance, if I may call it, about the gravity of the situation. Because I never really spoke about death. Yeah, maybe because I was in... Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, in West Germany, that time it was West Germany. Um, I think initially in Zambia, death was spoken a little bit because I was advised to speak to my employers to send me to Germany because we didn't have infrastructure, um, yeah. much cancer treatment, mm. treatment mm. here. So it's like, okay, and then I was sent abroad. So and then I recovered. And as I said, death, we didn't talk about death much because I think also in Germany, they were on top of things in terms of early stage Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I recovered. So fast forward to 2015, um, now, yeah, I, I knew about breast cancer, maybe not in much, that much detail as I was not a breast cancer survivor, but I knew it wasn't going to be an easy journey. I already knew it. And in fact, the day I was told I had breast cancer, the memories of my first cancer just kept uh, flooding back. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, because one difficult thing about my first treatment was the chemotherapy. I, I... I was in a lot of pain, my mm. stomach, nausea, 
it, it was a, it was very very painful. Now at least now, and I know I'm dealing with a different cancer, but the side effects of my treatment were much much milder than what I wow. first went through, which was wow. a pleasant. So it yeah. was pleasant, and I was I was an outpatient, so yeah. that helped, and and I could speak with more authority and ask questions and um, yeah. be more yeah. involved with my own yes, recovery. Yes, yes. Because you know, I'm older and, and, and I've been through it, and uh, being an advocate yeah. as well, that that helped as well. So in in that regard, but what I found interestingly enough was very difficult compared to the first time was my relationship with God, my spirituality. Mm. Uh, yeah, with my first cancer, I really drew closer to God. With my second cancer, I I, I was. I rebuilt. It's understandable. It's understandable. Yeah. Yes. I said to God, what's up with this second mm-hmm. cancer? Um, I'm busy with my advocacy work, which I can't do now much of. I'm now fighting for my life again. And I said, I've spent the better part of my life ducking and diving this disease one way or the other. And the work that I do is 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 my calling that I know for sure. And I couldn't just understand why cancer had come back and and I, I say especially my jubilee year, but in which year, any year is, yeah. is a bad year when cancer comes there's no, there's no perfect year for cancer exactly so it took me a while and i just withdrew and and i i became depressed mm. actually um uh, for maybe four five six months outwardly you would think i'm the same old person but inwardly i battled i battled and until eventually i came to terms with the situation and you know started counting my blessings one by one uh, you know that was brought early I, I was had access to treatment I was knowledgeable about the disease i was had i was comfortable you know in my home you know there are a lot of things to be grateful for so i i just had to ask god for for, for his forgiveness and uh, reconnect with him. He understood all those times because it's still part of the journey. And I also imagine that the time between the first cancer and the second cancer had spanned about three decades. Um, advancements in um, treatment modalities also probably made for a much more pleasant experience than the first time you had it. Yeah. Um, sorry, one second. Sorry, one second. Yes. Yeah. Ah. You go, no, no, go lie down, take a nap, okay? Huh. Alright? Mm-hmm. Mommy's recording. Alright, give mommy about 20 minutes, okay? Here? Yeah. Okay. There we go. All done. Is that okay? Yeah. Alright, I'll be back soon, okay? Alright, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> so, one of the um, things I've observed in working with, um, and by, by the way, thanks for that response. I think it's um, very encouraging to just hear your experience that in the midst of things, the difficult times you had and the struggles, and but at the end of the day, you found meaning in your experience. And I think um, ultimately that's a lesson in life, that sometimes we'll go- come through challenges 
what will make it better is to find the meaning behind it right and, and so thanks for that reminder now um one of the things i've observed in working in the community um of with cancer survivors is there are two broad categories of um survivors for those who have survived and and that's you know a very wonderful thing that they survived it but there are those that move from survivorship to advocates because uh, there's that burning desire in them i don't want people to go through what i went through it's not saying that one of them is better than the other if you stop that survivor survivor only that's okay it's very understandable not everybody has an emotional or physical bandwidth to move the, uh, to advocate but there are people like you people who you know um you found it as a life mission to keep you know um um bringing the community together take for example your work in um the Zambian Cancer Society which i think is amazing i would um explore that was and you do help promotions you do patient support you do community outreaches How, at what point did you go from just being a survivor to being um an advocate which i think is really really amazing Mm-hmm. Um, found myself in advocacy. I certainly didn't apply to be an advocate, and I, I always felt up. Not always, but for a long time, I felt I was the least likely candidate to do advocacy. And when you talk about survivorship, or let me just say, in cancer space. Well, at least for the Zambian Cancer Society, a survivor is a, a person who has been diagnosed with cancer up to the end of life. So that's how we we look at it. I know some people say, "No, I'm not a survivor. I'm, I'm a patient," and so on. But well, as we say, as long as we haven't died yet, whether it's from cancer or anything else, we're survivors. Now, my step into advocacy work when I came back from. my diplomatic tour that was like 11 years later i came back and i was now at a point of thinking what's next with my life and i'm i think it's because of coming back to zambia way the whole cancer story started it made me start to reflect and think about what cancer had done to my life and the the I mean a lot of positive things but there were a lot of negative things that I went through personal things um um it caused I mean physically there were challenges relationship wise there were challenges and you know I, I just began to say I would like in fact I think my words to my friend was my good friend of mine was i'm going to get even with cancer i want to yeah going to, to get even and those were not it was not a good way to start and i'll explain why but at that time i thought yes going to get my you know to get even how uh i said i wanted to make a, a difference So let me see in how I can go about helping cancer patients. And I was led to an organization which at that time just supported children with cancer, but it was a starting point. And the chairperson of that organization, it's no longer in existence, but the, at, at that time it was chaired by a 
eminent doctor, in fact, he, in fact is a prof, he was a professor since past, who was my doctor before I left. And I thought, right. So I joined this organization and we would fundraise maybe once or twice a year, two or three times, to raise funds to buy drugs for children with cancer. And I'm talking about 2000, yeah, the year 2000, 2000, and back 2001. And at that time, there was still no cancer hospital. The cancer hospital started in 2006. And through it, yeah, so 2001, two, three, four, as we're heading to 2006, 2007, I would occasionally um, hear a voice, a prompting to say, set up your own organization. Set up your own organization. In, in, as far as I'm concerned, that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I would answer that. And in fact, when I, I, I got this, sorry, I'm going to go back a bit. When I got this um, desire to make a difference and to get even with cancer, I asked God, I asked God if he wanted me to help, if he wanted me to set up my own cancer organization. Because I was talking, as I was talking about getting even, my friend said, why don't you set up your own cancer organization? And I said, okay. And it really touched me. And I asked God, do you want me to set up what? And he, he, he showed me very clearly that he wanted me to. So very briefly, I know you're going to do the thing, you know, as you, as you, you know, wrap up this. A few days after my conversation with my friend and as I was ranting and raving about this cancer and, and so on, a few days later, I went to visit my brother, a, a brother of mine, and I was reading one of the local newspapers. And the, on the first front cover, there was um, wording and it said, a headline, and it said, cancer patients need your mm. help. Wow. And this was the, the Zambia Daily Mail, in case the Zambians who listen to this. Yes, go to page four or five, or I can't remember which one, which page now. I wish I'd kept wow. that statement, but I didn't. <laughs> So what did I do more? Instead of going to that page immediately, I was shaken and I was scared. That's even. a sign right there. So I read the first yeah. page, second, third, fourth, until I went to that page. Exactly. <laughs> and he talked about this cancer organization and that's how I ended up working um, with them as a volunteer. To learn the ropes. Um, but I, this prompting kept on and on. Yes. And I said to God, I said... The reason I asked if you wanted me to set up my own cancer organization is because I did not know one existed. Since there's one, why should I set up my own? I mean, it doesn't make sense. But um, that prompting would come maybe two or three times a year, not very often. And that was how I, I would respond until in 2009, the and, and by that time, I'd left, I'd left the, in 2007, 2008, I'd left the, the, that organization I was volunteering with. I just felt moved um, to move on, compelled to move on. I wanted to do more for cancer patients, not just for, for the children. And in 2009, more, believe it or not, and this is a true story, as I was sitting in my office, I work with my brother, and he's very much into you know, corporate business. I heard the voice again asking me, what is stopping you from setting up the Zambian Cast Society? By that time, I already had the name and I was a little bit online, but not really and wasn't formally registered. And I had no answer. And 
I said nothing, you know, just to myself. Because first of all, I mused over it for like a minute or two. Then I said, there's no reason. So I got up and I said, no, but before I get up and speak to my brother in, in, in his office, how am I going to fund this? How am I going to, because I need help. What do I do? And what, I need a helper. So the answer was, and how am I going to pay them? What? Because I don't even have any, you know, there's no money. Yeah. This organization hasn't even been founded or set up. And the answer was your tithe. Ah, and I said, wow. okay. I'm telling you, and I, I've got a, a niece, she's, she's a pastor. She, she, this one, she, the jury is still out in her interview. In fact, she says, no, it's a contribution. It cannot be your tithe. I said, that is what I heard. And not only did I hear that, okay, after I heard that, I went to my brother and I told him, that this is what I've decided to do to set up the Zambian Cancer Society to help cancer patients. And his answer was, how are you going to, to fund it? He asked me that question, which I just asked the Holy Spirit a few minutes ago. And I said, through my time. Then he said, oh, okay. And then, because I wasn't sure whether I'd heard the Holy Spirit correctly, I said, should I, shouldn't I t- touch my time? <laughs> I said, God, if I have misunderstood you and I should and I shouldn't use my tithe, I actually said to him, slap me so hard <laughs> such that I know that I am not supposed to touch my tithe. I should give it to my church. And that's what I said. Otherwise, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to use my tithe. And I've not received that slap yet. Wow. But of course, I've moved on from giving my tithe to the yeah. organization. But I've moved on. But that's how it started. Huh. Yeah. And my advocacy progressed. But I wanted to come back to when I said I had the wrong Motive, yeah. motivation. Cancer. In mm-hmm. a way. Getting even with cancer. Mm. Yeah. I said fighting mm. cancer. Mm. Exactly. Getting even. And then I'm using my own personal experience. Yes, of course, to help other cancer patients, ultimately. But then I, I, I was... One day when I was having... But I was praying, and the Holy Spirit asked me a question, and the question was, "Do you know why you have?" And it's like maybe two, three years later. Do you know why you have never fully embraced the Zambian Cancer Society? Wow! And my answer was no. And the reply was because you associated associated with pain, mm. with loss, with grieving. I said yes. The, the, true story, more. You know, I don't may say, say moment. and that is when I read. Mm. Yeah, that I had said I, it was the wrong motive. Yes, wanting to help, but being driven by the wrong emotions, which had that negative vibe. And the moment um, I realized that, I, I let go of you know, these the hurts and the disappointments and the pain and, you know, the loss. And I said, okay, um, let me look at things differently and look at it from a positive perspective. So that is what has helped me throughout the years. It's what an unconventional story. But thank you so much for your, your candor and, um, um, and responding to that question. It, it'll be, I'll be um, remiss not to, ask, not to ask you these following mm-hmm. questions, especially about the infrastructure in Africa. I know I'm Nigerian, you're, Zamb- you're, Zamb- you're, I mean, you're from Zambia. 
Um, and I think um, there's just some trends in how. So I'll just use it Nigeria for example, because I I I, I guess it might be quite um, applicable to Zambia. We've done not so much of a good job in curbing, you know, fighting a lot of communicable diseases in the past, you know, 50 years, like HIV, you know, um, and let's just even call some other ones like malaria. And I think that has put a stress on our already weakened um, health um, infrastructure, right? And this is what you see in a lot of developing countries are some of the ailments we are plagued with. But because we tend to be living longer and um, quality of life overall has, you know, improved in areas of the world including african countries but what that means is that with longer lives we're seeing more um, um prevalent mm-hmm. rates of cancers especially in the younger demographic and it's usually the aggressive forms like a triple negative and it just you know it's it's scary to me and um so my question is this without organizations like kills who has to fill in the cracks in the system because what you're doing right now is is what a government um, um, apparatus should be doing. But again, we know NGOs, they really form the being of, they fill in a lot of the sports there. Um, what are some of the opportunities for governments, like, you know, what can in hand? Because I remember your episode with Chulu. Again, shout out to Chulu, where I met you from. You talked about how the distance people have to travel to go get medications and to go get treated. And that was very, very bothersome for you. And because, you, I mean, I, I imagine your experience going to Germany and the privilege you had probably also helps you really understand the, the challenge it might be for people that might not even have those kind of luxuries. So I guess my mm-hmm. question for you, for maybe those that might be listening, who might be in the form of authority to kind of do something, in what kind of ways would you say they can um, work better in improving cancer outcomes in Africa? Because the sad thing is that I think we haven't gotten to the, to the, to the um, end of it. It's probably going to get worse as far as the rates that we're singing. Sure. Uh, 100%. Thanks for for that very deep question. And you're very right, Mo. A healthy nation is very important and the health of its citizens really is the responsibility of the government overall to make sure that we have access to treatment, that the environment is conducive, um, the job opportunity, I mean, there's economic growth because some of these diseases really, poverty is, <laughs> is very much rooted and grounded in them. Uh, let me, and, and, and the Nigerian experience is typical for many African countries, uh, I'm sure, Zambia being one of them. One, of the thing, what, 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 one thing I'd like to say first is, um, you know, I've been sharing my story and talked about not having a cancer hospital until 2000, 2006. And I, I've often said that Setting up that cancer hospital for me was one of the greatest things that the government of the day mm. did. Because without that, I think myself and I know many others probably wouldn't be alive today because we have access to treatment. Yes, um, there are challenges at the cancer hospital, but at least there is one and it's a starting point. Over the last couple of years, um, I know there have been challenges, COVID didn't help, but overall, I think government's priority towards cancer care was diverted to other things. But now, you know, slowly, slowly, we are improving and cancer care is now getting that, the attention that it deserves. Now, in terms of non-communicable diseases, cancers and, and other things, more I... I, I firmly believe that even us as citizens, we need to take responsibility for our own mm, health. Mm. 
Uh, these are lessons that you learn the hard way once we are hit with cancer, we're hit with uh, diabetes, or we're hit with hypertension. Mm. But I think it's important government also has deliberate programs to promote prevention. health and Promotion, wellness. Yeah. Prevention, prevention, prevention is very, very important. That's uh, number one. And, you know, looking at health holistically, our our health system right now are just made or modeled to treat yeah, not disease. Prevent, yeah. not, not, not about, pre- especially not about preventing and treating it in, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a hospital or clinical setting. Not knowing that it can also be managed or treated um, in the home and not necessarily like, you know, injections or what, but just the whole whole wellness of a person in the community. You're talking about the spiritual aspect, the physical aspect, um, the emotional aspect, the support, the support groups or the support, not necessarily groups, but the support support, system in Mm -hmm. homes. If your home is broken, how are you going to get better, (sighs) you know? And recover from whether it's cancer or diabetes, hypertension, or you know these other diseases. So I I believe that governments should redefine the way they treat patients, they redefine health, or redefine illness, and focus more on wellness and look at it holistically. So even the trainings that the medical pra- health practitioners get, they look at patients. Holistically, clients holistic, holistically, and promote health and wellness, not just how are you know the side effects. Of, you know, here's something for the, the nausea. Not asking about my financial status, my relationship status, uh, spiritual. We just have to become more creative and look at it from that aspect. And then, of course, governments, you know, cannot do everything. That's when you bring in the NGOs. You bring in the, 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 whether it's the church, I know not everybody goes to, uh, no, church, yeah. it's a Christian, yeah. but faith-based, you look, at, you look into that, um, that element, you look into the environment, you know, so all these, so ministries of health really have to start looking at their citizens from a holistic point of view and not just merely treating the disease. Yeah. And I think you're so right, like promoting a more of a wellness model rather than an illness model. And it's an all hands on um, on deck approach. And thanks for that reminder of taking personal responsibility. Because I imagine for you, if you hadn't gone for your checkup, I bet your stage will have been way more advanced than it was. And so we need to not just rely on, and I know as Africans, we tend to be more spiritual and more religious. You can actually have both, you know, get your health checks. You know, that one year you miss might make a lot of difference in your health outcomes. And for most cancers these days, with the level of sophistication we have in treatment and and just managing an overall five-year survival, most of them have like at least 70% or more odds of surviving if you're detected early. So early detection yeah. is key. Everyone listening to this, go get your health checkup. Peace of mind, you know, nothing like peace of mind. There's no, there's no premium price on peace of mind. Now, um, um, as we wind off, I I wanted to ask you this question about just um, one of the themes that kind of recurs in my conversations. Um, on one of the so one of the um, themes that comes up is that fear of recurrence, right? And like you um, said before, you know, um, with 
primary cancers, there's risk of um, secondary cancers. What fears, if any, have you um, harbored about maybe just coming back in another form? And if you've had those fears, what keeps you going without succumbing to the fear? Well, I I live with with that knowing hovering over my head that the cancer, one breast cancer may come back or I may not have another type of cancer. Um, my experience with these two cancers, I mean, I think this has come to the fore because I had my breast cancer. After my Hodgkin's lymphoma, and, you know, as each year came and went, came and went, the whole idea of actually having a second cancer was far removed from my, you know, from my vocabulary or from my, my radar. And now breast cancer is, is, you know, visited me. So I don't take anything for granted. It doesn't make it any easier. In fact, it, it makes it even worse to a certain degree. Any lump bump, um, I, I freak out, you know, and I just have to exhale and um, tell myself, you know, have it checked. And also, believe it or not, more, you know, because I've had so many surgeries, oh. I've had duct and type cancer, as I said, for over 30 years now. Um, I'm beginning to lean very much towards towards the body healing itself. I'm delving into it more and more and looking at what is possible. I am a very firm believer in conventional medicine, 100%. Mm. I mean, it has saved my life. But I think I, too, I must also develop more curiosity about how um, adaptive the body is, how strong it is, and how it is able to heal itself. And so that moving forward is what I, I really want to go into, into the whole health and wellness. I mean, spontaneous remissions are, are not that uncommon. I mean, the more I read about it and, and do my research, and I, I love that angle. And I'm not, as I said, yeah. Certainly would never discuss conventional medicine, but I need to be more proactive about my own health and and believe believe number one that that the body can heal itself and know that I dig deep into my into my being and you know and other and other have other other pillars in place and then I, I I believe I'm I'm. I'm protected. I mean, it's, that I, I hear this a lot. And I think it's a form of coping, <laughs> knowing that with cancer, you lose control. Mm-hmm. A form of gaining that control back is knowing that, okay, if mm-hmm. I if I take care of my health, you know, do my workout, eat the right things, maybe I'm able to at least protect like protect myself to a certain degree. And I see that a lot. So, I mean, it's 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 not uncommon to hear that with, with the law of survivors. It's your way of just knowing that I have a bit of control over this issue if I do it this way and that way. But you know what? Whatever comes your way, I know you have the ability to fight it because you've proven that to you know keep thriving in whatever capacity you are in. So, um, I have no worries with that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so with just we know that some cancers have that strong familial link. Do you have kids, ma? Are you um? Do you have kids? You have daughters? You have sons? I don't have any biological okay, okay. children. All right, okay. I'd ask that because I know that um. You knew your family history, but what we find in a lot of African homes is that we don't tell our progenies about those susceptibility of risks mm-hmm. when it comes to cancers. Now, um, just finally, um, 
two months ago, actually that uh, two months ago, because it's December now, we brought a young lady on the podcast. She's in her thirties. She just actually had one um, breast removed, and she's um, get to begin chemotherapy soon. For people like her who are listening to this, and she's based in Nigeria, we had to actually do um, crowdfunding for her um, to be able to get funding for her mm-hmm. treatment. You find that very applicable because our healthcare infrastructure, the insurance systems, even though she has insurance. They said they don't cover cancers, which kind of still blows my mind, you know. Yeah. And she works for a healthcare um, organization. Her insurance told her we don't cover cancer. They only cover malaria. It's just mind-blowing to me. But that aside, for people like that who might be listening to this, what kind of words of encouragement would you give them as a veteran, as an advocate, as an ally, to keep them going on their journey? Sure. Um, one of the things which us in the cancer space uh, you know, found ironic, or some of us at least, when COVID hit, we heard a lot about the new normal. Mm. And, I, and I don't know if you heard that in, you know, yeah. in the States. Yeah, when it was, it was, it know, was a buzzword. <laughs> it was the word of the year. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yes. For us, it was ironic because uh, once you're diagnosed, you <laughs> now have to adjust to the new normal. <laughs> Is, is, is never the same, certainly. And I mean, dealing with cancer, you know, we're not going to downplay it. it it's it's a it's a big journey, certainly is. And um, what I would encourage her to do is one is to to be able to share with people whom she trusts mm. what it is that she's going through. Mm. There are times, uh, I know I've heard it often, and people told me that be strong, be strong. Yes, it's important to to encourage, but there is also um, what they call toxic positivity, where you are Uh not being true to yourself when you're having a bad day. Mm. There are ups and downs in a journey. It is a journey, and it's really to deal with things one, one day at a time, one step at a time. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of women who have been diagnosed with with breast cancer and who have survived. And, you know, we we, we look to them and we're encouraged by that. Um, So she has, you've said you have raised some money for her to access drugs. So we are grateful for that. So gratitude also... Is, is, is very important and it it, it brings you know that thankfulness and you know gratitude you it, it brings out these positive vibes which are very very important when it comes to healing yes so yes you know yeah and I, I know it's not so easy you know especially when you're not having a great day to, to be to be find something to be grateful for yeah. but I encourage her okay to remember these words and to you know mm. to try and find at least one thing, mm. and also I, 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 the way how can one can boost one's own immunity? Mm-hmm. There are things like exercise. Even if it's walking two three steps a day, exercise has been proven proven to one. Um, it, it it's proven to improve. Outcomes in terms of side effects, yes. you have less harsh side effects. Yeah. In, in terms of surgeries, you have quicker recovery. Yeah. In terms of re- 
recurrence, it helps to diminish the chances of recurrence. So there are a lot of positives about being physically active, active yeah. according to the way you are feeling. So I would encourage her to be be physically active regularly as much as she can and you know as she undergoes you know, her journey. Yeah. Also in terms of a healthy diet, you know, I'm sure she can speak to a yes. nutritionist or find a nutritionist oh. can speak to her uh, about what to eat. Also, the support system is important, and not support system is not just your your, your family. Not just your relatives. Yeah. Mm. Family, can family can be friends. Um, it's also helpful if you have a supportive medical team. I know sometimes you don't have the the luxury of choosing whom, but if you can identify somebody. Sometimes it may it may even be outside the core medical team because you know it just doesn't work. But maybe you have a GP or a friend who is a medical person, but that support system from a medical person who will be able to hold your hand As and understand it from that perspective. Yeah, oh, wow. really, really, hundred wow. percent, really helps. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and yeah, I think those uh, relationships are very very important. Yeah, and keeping your emotions, um, you know, yourself as happy as you can helps as well. And we are here. We have walked the journey and still walking it, just that we are at this stage. So she now surrounds herself with positivity. That, that is also helpful. Thank you so much. I can't even wait to share this episode with her. Finally, finally, one of the theories in cancer survivorship is reframing where there's that response shift in your perspective. And I think you alluded to that when you talked about when you're planning for your 50th birthday, the moment that diagnosis came, it wasn't important anymore. And I can imagine that was a big deal because, I mean, 50 is a big deal. Um, in, in just the perspective changes you've had, if you could go back again and do the, to do things differently when it comes to your, the, your cancer survivorship journey, are there any things you would have done differently? I would have been more into my own self-care. Oh. I think a lot a lot of times I have put myself last, no more. <laughs> I would have been more curious about life, about living, about exploring new things. I think I was too much with the same old, same old. To a certain degree, I'm a creative type, but I think I could have put, pushed myself more. I, I maybe because being in the diplomatic service, I tended to be um, accommodating of a lot of things which now I wouldn't accommodate. Maybe commanding my space more and saying, "No, this this doesn't work. I'm not accepting this." But maybe me be too accepting and being too diplomatic. So there's a lot of self care I would have done and and. Had more exciting, <laughs> and I had more. I had a more exciting agenda in terms of, okay, so self care. In terms of my health, I would have been more conscious about my spirituality. Mm. Be more intentional, more intentional about, about, about my physical, uh, being physically active. I, I, I am, but you know, not consistently. Off, on, off, on. I would have been more. I would have been more physically. Um, um, consistent and 
with certain things where I'm not happy in a situation, whether it's work-wise or relationship-wise with friends or relatives or others, I would probably have dealt with them more or quicker rather than let things fester and, and, and drag on. I think, yeah, I think, um, I think ultimately, what am I saying at the end of the day? I think self-care is, important. is very important. I would have and I think I think that's what we can we can all take something from that, regardless of you know our status. We can all take something. Just a reminder to put ourselves first, and it's not selfishness; it's just putting ourselves mm-hmm. first. Um, mm-mm, mm-mm. Wow, I could just keep talking, you know, to you on um, because your your insight and just your your in depth about the things you've gone through and not just holding back. You just want to make sure that people have it easier than you did has just been very, very refreshing to hear. And I thank you so much for your time. For those who might want to learn more about your work, how can they find you, Ma? Oh, sure. Uh, I don't know how, I, I know I'm on social media. Um, at UD Soko, I think it is all oh, the social yeah, media. Just Google her. Only UD Soko. Yes, Google her. Yes, yes, yes. Through the Zambian Cancer, Cancer Society. Society. Yes, yes. You certainly find me through the Zambian yes, yes. Facebook so it's, as well. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. So if they would like to reach out, yeah. they are more than welcome. Yeah, and I'll, so. I'll put all those links in in the in the um, comments. Uh, sorry, in the show notes. And I see that you're also a Toastmasters. I am a Toastmasters as well. You were the founding member of Eagles Toastmasters. Yeah. That's really amazing. I'm a DTM actually. Yes, before we did yes, the path, I yeah, am. yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Toastmasters. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, okay. Yes, For yes, you. Yes, yes, okay. That's very good. <laughs> I haven't done nice. the because you know they've shifted to pathways. Yeah, I never got. Yeah. Yes, they have. I was one of the last DTMs. I'm like, I'm done with this one, and I'm just gonna sit it out for a while. But it's good to see a fellow Toastmasters. Well, this that's right. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. And I will let you know once the episode comes out, I'll share with you the flyers and all of the media. Feel free to repurpose them. And I, um, I love your Facebook page. I loved what you guys did for Duku October. I didn't know about the headgear. It was so beautiful. It was so, so beautiful. And, um, for those that might be wondering why we didn't go into some questions again, I met her through Chulu, another podcaster. So you have to go listen to that episode to kind of fill in the gaps in our conversation because this was more of a continuation and I wanted to find a better way to use her time than to ask her the same question she's been asked by other podcasters. Well, I hope you enjoyed the rest of your Saturday and I and I hope to bring you back sometime soon. I don't know in what capacity, but I'll, I'll, look, forward, I'll look forward to our conversation um, in the future if that were to happen again. Right. Thank you so much, Mo. I've had a wonderful time with you and I'm looking forward to listening right. to it, watching the, the podcast, yes, yes. being on your show. Like, thank you. Thank you. Have a good day, Ma. Alright, thank bye. you. Bye bye. Alright, everyone. That was just the podcast episode with Ms. Soko. I mean, just how refreshing. So of course, if you're listening to this, I hope you're able to um get some good tips from just um Ms. Soko about how to thrive in this new phase of life that you're in. As you know, we're cheering you on. I'm Kosi, you've got this, and cannot wait to see you on the other side of what recovery will look like for you. In any event, thank you all for um, listening to this episode. We hope you take this as your sign. So Ms. Um, Uli talked about the signs in starting her um, NGO. This is your sign to go get your health checked, okay? 
if you're waiting for a sign this is it go make that appointment go um, explore what that pain that is bothering you i'm not trying to sound like a pastor right now but this is your sign to go get your heart checked okay um peace of mind is very very premium and for most of these diseases the earlier they are detected the better your outcomes i need you alive we need you alive love you guys and catch you on another episode of the more Sible podcast i remain your host Mosible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Morrisible Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomore@mostable.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Morrisible Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening.